0: Uh, before we begin into this message, I want to, um, I want, I want us to pray together, because I don't, I don't know if you're aware, but our world is in pretty, pretty serious turmoil right now. I don't know if you knew. Uh, there was, uh, I mean, who would have expected what we're going through right here in this year? Honestly, you, we're going through the coronavirus, and man, our lives changed drastically. We were hit with something that we've never been hit bef- with before uh, in our generation, for sure. And, and, and all of that is going on, and just as soon as it seems like maybe that's letting up a little bit, all of a sudden we see uh, the, just this racism and, 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 and police brutality against, against uh, George Floyd and different things like that, which is just causing riots and uprising. And all of this unrest and political division and just vitriol and stuff like that is going on in our world. And I think we need to pray about that as a church. We need to be in prayer about these things as a church. So I want us to pray uh, right into that stuff. So if you will, won't you just bow your heads right where you're at? I want us to take a moment and I want to ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts. And I want us as a church to pray into a lot of these things that are going on. And so, Lord, we just come to you right now, Father, as a church, as a body of Christ, God, with a local expression right here in Clay County, Kentucky. And, Lord, we we. When it comes to things like this, I'm telling you, honestly, I I don't know about the rest of the people in the world, but sometimes I feel overwhelmed, I feel helpless, I feel like I don't have the answers. And I don't, but God, we know that you do have the answers. And Lord Jesus, we know just as we sung in that song a minute ago that you have already won the victory, you've already paid the price, you've already done the work for there to be peace, for there to be love, for there to be unity released. But it comes when we acknowledge you, Lord Jesus, as Lord of all. And Lord, there's so many hearts that are broken, so many hearts that are filled with hate. And God, we're finding out in our world that that racism is a reality. And Lord, we, we renounce racism. We come against it in all of its forms and we declare it to be evil. We declare it to be sinful. And if God, if there is any such thing in our hearts at any time, Lord, uproot it, uproot it from our hearts and grant us repentance. But Lord, at the same time, there's such violence and there's such unrest coming along. And Lord, the truth is that when we come up under your name, Lord Jesus, you're word says that there's neither male nor female uh, slave nor free it's there's there's neither gentile nor jew but lord all are one in christ jesus and so lord would you turn people's hearts whether they're what no matter what race no matter what descent let us realize that in the name of jesus we come up under one race god that we are all children of god and would you do that in our nation would you move in our nation would you bring peace and god would you bring true justice in every area And Lord, help us to know what justice is. Help us to discern as a church, as a people, what justice truly is in every situation, God, because there is such error that is running rampant, and there are so many different waves of untruth, and sometimes it's hard to get through the clutter and the mess, but Lord, would you help us to discern what is truth, and Lord, would you help us to love all people, to fight for the needy, to fight for the fatherless, to fight for the oppressed, because that's what you have called us to do, Lord Jesus, and you've called us to be a light in the midst of this darkness. Lord, we pray for our law enforcement officers. Lord, we've had one of our very own, Jeff Kelsey's been sent to a place where there's a lot of, a lot of protesting going on. He's been there this week. Logan Wolf, God, we've got people that we love right in the middle of these riots, Lord, and there's, there's violence going on and we pray for their protection. We pray for the protection of all people and Lord pray, God, we pray that we would learn to honor all people. And so, Lord, these are just things that are very nuanced, things that we don't fully understand. But we trust that, Holy Spirit, you can can do something in our hearts and in our midst to begin to move. And, Lord, I feel like, I just want you to keep praying with me. Lord, I feel that, Holy Spirit, you're up to something. Lord, you're bringing darkness to the surface in our nation so that we can repent. And, Lord, repentance always precedes a true move of God. So right now in our own hearts, Lord, we may not be able to do anything on a national scale, but God, we can start with our own hearts. And so, Lord, if there's any wicked way in us, expose it, Lord, and help us. Give us the grace to turn, to turn from those things, to turn from any wicked way that is in our heart, Lord, and help us to love, help us to see others that are broken, help us to understand, help us to listen to others. And Lord Jesus, help us to love at all costs. And we want you to get down in the roots of our hearts, Lord. And help us to turn to you and for you to lead us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Look at your neighbor, I quick and just tell him, I sure do love you. Sure do love you all. So, last week we talked about Pentecost, we talked about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We talked about how without the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we can't we're not going to have the power to accomplish what God has given us to accomplish. And we need that power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And right now, God, I believe, is calling a nation, calling the world to repentance, to realize that things are being shaken and it's time to turn to Him. And I believe if we can get to the place where we truly will turn to Him, that we're going to experience a true outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That turns people's hearts and lives around and we see salvation come, but it begins with us. But see, one of the things that we overlook a lot of times when we look at Pentecost or we talk about an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we overlook what always precedes that. One is repentance, but the one that I want to speak to you specifically about this morning is prayer. Prayer. And I, I, I tell you, I've been, it's like the Lord has been laying on my heart and he's just been saying, Clay, the church is not equipped for the things that are going on in the world today. The church is just not equipped they're just not ready that that in in our current spiritual state there are things that are coming upon the world that we're just not going to be ready for we're going to be overwhelmed by if we are not equipped and if we do not learn how to pray as a people we are not going to be prepared for what is coming and the challenges that we are going to face as a Christian people because man there are so many different ideologies and so many different pressures that are coming I don't know if maybe it's because I have to get up and speak before people but I have felt so immense pressure on me over the past three weeks. I mean, it's like I just feel it in my mind. I told my wife, I'm just like, you know, all the stuff going on, I sometimes I've got to unplug from any media, any social media, because I just feel this immense amount of pressure, and it's really leading you into a direction. It's trying to form you to think a certain way, whether it's a godly way or not, and sometimes it gets mixed up, and you can even begin to conf- confuse godly mindsets for worldly mindsets. Anybody amen me on that? And so we have to pray that the Holy Spirit would help us to discern this and that we would get a conviction about truly praying for our church, for the people around us, and praying for our nation and the situations that we are facing. we got to get a conviction about prayer and not treat it as a a flippant thing that we can be passive in. we got to ask the Lord, Lord, burn something in our hearts where we have a conviction for prayer. And so the title of my message this morning is So That You May Pray. And it comes from this verse here in 1 Peter 4, 7. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read this verse, and I'm going to break down this verse throughout the sermon, which I'm going to read a lot more verses, as I always tend to do. But this is the one verse that I'm going to hang on to throughout the entire sermon. And here it is. 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Let me read it one more time. The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Now this was written to a church in the Roman Empire by a man named Peter who you know throughout the scriptures. He writes this letter to the church and they are going through intense crisis. At that current time, they were being persecuted. There was a lot of crazy things going on in the world. They were being challenged in ways that they had never been challenged before. And Peter is trying to write them to give them specific principles on how you're going to deal with this crisis, how you're going to get through the crises that are going on in your world. And see, he gets to this point and he's saying... When you're dealing with all of these crises in the world and you're facing all of these difficulties and all these challenges, he's trying to reorient them to what is most important. Because here's the problem, when we're dealing with so many crazy things going on in our world around us, the tendency is to get our eyes off of what matters the most and to become distracted. And the first thing that he's saying is, I know that there's a lot of different challenges going on in the world, but never let that get your mind off of the most important challenge. Because the most important crisis that we are facing, he says, is an eternal crisis. It's not an economic crisis, even though that's an issue. Our economy is is, is struggling. We're dealing with difficult things, and people are wondering where their money is going to come from in the future. They're wondering about their business, and we should not make that a small thing. Uh, but but it's not it's not a health issue either now it's not that we shouldn't worry about people's health we should be safe we should try to pray for God's for protection on these issues but our greatest issue is not a temporary health crisis amen our greatest issue is is not even the violence issue or the racist issue even those those are issues which need to be dealt with but the greatest issue and at the root of all of these things is an eternal issue it's a God crisis it's a God crisis. And we have to understand that at the root of all of these things is this lack of God and understanding. And here's what I want you to understand. is all of the things that are happening in our world right now. They should work to awaken you to the reality of the God crisis. And this is what Peter is saying. He's saying, if you look at everything in the world, you could just go ahead and stamp on it. Guess what, guys? That is a reality that is telling you the end of all things is near. And I'm preaching this morning. I feel like I should have brought one of them big signs up. You know, I'm going to grow a beard out this long and the end is near. And when you, when you start to preach that stuff, people think that you might be a little bit strange. But see, we are dealing with an eternal crisis. And we have to get focused on the fact that Jesus is returning to restore things. When we say the end of all things is near, people are like, man, I don't want to hear that stuff. I got a life to live. I'm trying to live my best life now. I don't want to hear about the end is near. But when you are a Christian, there's something that changes in your heart where you realize that this world is truly not your home. The way that things are, are not how they are supposed to be. That Jesus Christ is coming and when he returns, he's going to establish a kingdom where every race, every tribe, every language are one and all worship under the name of Jesus. And that is what we are striving for here now on the planet while we have time. We seek that now. We seek to demonstrate that kingdom now. But see, we know that there is an evil one that is at work and he is working hard against that. He's working hard to divide the church, to destroy the church, to keep the church from doing that. And, and he's fighting, but when it comes to this, when it comes to this reality of the fact that all things are moving toward an eternal judgment, you realize that. All things are moving toward a moment when all will face Jesus and all will be judged, but nobody likes to talk about that anymore. One commentator I was reading when I was reading this, speaking of this verse, here's what he says. He says, there's much that needs to be done to bring this text or this verse into our world because our world has almost no belief in a divine end to history. In fact, many Christians today have seemed to have lost much of their moral nerve about the end of history, climaxing in a judgment that will decide the fate of all people. Such ideas are clearly found in the Bible, but they have sometimes become an outright embarrassment to Christians. In the place of the final judgment, the modern Westerner has substituted what sociologist Christopher Lash has called the myth of progress. See, what once drove Christians to believe that, guess what? Yeah, there's injustice in the world, but Jesus is coming and there will be a kingdom where justice is finally established. And we long for that and we strive for that now. What once drove Christians to say, you know what? Jesus is returning. Therefore, I'm going to live as holy and as pure as I possibly can in this dark world world. That drove Christians because they knew there was a day coming. There was a reckoning coming where they would be judged according to what they had done in the world. But see now modern Westerners have become so intelligent. He's saying that they have pushed it off and they are saying, no, you know what? We can have better science. We can have better psychology. We can teach our kids better in college. And ultimately we're going to make the world better. My question would be, how's that working out for you? We see that no matter what we try, technology is increasing. Knowledge and education is increasing at a a rapid pace. Yet the world seems to increasingly divide, increasingly enter into turmoil. And we see that things are broken and that there's only one hope for our world and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't be so duped by the sway of the wicked one that we begin to believe that somehow, oh, we just don't worry about teaching people about judgment or about sin. Let's just make sure that they're becoming uh, smarter and more intellectual and they're studying more and they're learning about the ways of the world. And and finally, we're going to figure out how to make things better in the world. Now, we've got to understand that the end of all things is near and it's a reality that we should look for. But see, anytime a crisis comes, people change, don't they? Any, like right now, how, how much did we just change? I know, I, I mean, right now there are people, I, and, and, and rightfully so, I mean, I'm, I'm grateful that some people play it safe right now because I mean, there's, there's, you know what I'm saying? I don't want to be held responsible if people get sick, obviously. I mean, that's a terrible thing. And I'm praying night and day, Lord, protect us. From, from any kind of sickness. But at, but at the end of the day, we've, we've made all of these changes. We, we wear masks, we social distance, we've shut down our businesses. We made all of those changes because of a crisis. And when you look throughout history, World War I, World War II, what happened? Women went into the workforce. They made changes. Certain industries started, stop, stopped making certain things and started making other things. Even right now, our liquor, our liquor business, right, they're making hand sanitizer. I got hand sanitizer out there. It smells like corn mash. You know, it reminds me of a bad college night. And, and I mean, it's like, it's like uh, everything is changing. Why? Because we're adapting to a crisis. But see, the issue is, I don't think that we have made many changes in light of the eternal crisis. I don't think we make many. I think we put it off. I think we act now in our modern society as if it's something that's never coming. It's not that big of a deal. And if you preach it, really, you're not even relevant to our world today because you shouldn't be talking about the coming of the Lord. That's just irrelevant. It spooks people. It makes you sound weird as a Christian. Whether you think it makes it sound weird or not, it is a biblical reality that is pressed over and over and over and over again. And as Christian people, it is what we believe. And all of history is heading toward a day where all of us are going to face judgment. And if we have that crisis, which I believe is the greatest crisis, what changes should we make in light of that crisis? We're willing to make changes when we face crisis in our world. But what changes are we willing to make when we know that Jesus is returning? And as a church, we have got to get our things in order. We've got to become men and women of prayer. We've got to become men and women who do fight for justice. We've got to become men and women who are seeking the Lord, who are bearing witness to Christ, and who understand that the souls of men are lost out there in our world. And we're the only ones that can bring them the truth of the gospel. And we've been called to do so. See, Tim Keller says this about this verse. He says the world says, "If you live as if the end is near, you're crazy." That's what the world says, isn't it? If you live as if the end is near, you're crazy. You're like one of them dudes. When I went to college at EKU, there used to be an actual dude. He's probably still out there. Like anybody know? Anybody go to EKU and see him out there? Yeah, is he? Yeah, yeah. Is he out there when you were there? He was out there, son, the end is near. I remember walking by this dude and people were hollering at him, cussing him out, son. And he was a little bit sketchy. Like even some of the stuff that he said, he was just calling people out and saying you're going to hell and this and that. He probably, his approach was not how I would have handled it, right? His approach was probably wrong. But at the end of the day, he was holding on to some kind of a truth that he believed. And Tim Keller says this, the world says if you live as if the end is near, you're crazy. But this text literally means and could be translated, if you don't live as if the end is near, you're crazy. If you don't live as if, what it's saying, he says this. He says that actually when you begin to live as if the end is near, you get sane. There's a reality that comes into your mind. Because I want you to understand this. With our world going on as the way that it is, would it not be insane to believe that somehow things are just going to level out? Ah, don't worry about this. This will pass. Things will get good again. No. Things have always been jacked up. Things will continue to be jacked up because this is not the way that it was designed. There are wicked forces at work in our world. And Jesus did not say, hey guys, just go down there and hang out. You're going to be there forever. No, he said, your life is but a vapor. And you got to get your eyes fixed on the eternal reality that is before you. And see, number one, if you're taking notes, what we have to have is we need eternal vision. We need eternal vision. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He's saying as a Christian, your citizenship is literally in heaven. He's saying that we should be longing, we should be waiting for the appearing of the Lord. Do you know that scripture says that a crown, literally, a reward will be given simply to those people who are longing for the return of the Lord? You don't even have to do anything. He's saying it's not about what you've done. It's not about whether or not you've won 100 souls. It's the fact that in your heart you're longing for a kingdom and a a world whose builder and whose maker is God. That you're longing for that new Jerusalem. You're longing for things to be set right. And he says when that longing is in your heart, there's going to be a reward for you because your heart is in the right place. And once we get that reference point on the calendar. You know, here's the thing. If, if I know, so I, I don't know about you, but if I'm planning a vacation, say vacations three months out. I can work harder in that three months knowing that I'm working because I get a break at some point. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And and what's going on now is we got to get that reference point in our mind where that day is coming, and it's coming soon. So you know what that can give me is that gives me strength to do what I need to do for God here and now. It gives me strength to go through the battle to stay focused on what I I need. But see, in this scripture, once we have that reference point, it goes to the second point. It says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of a sober mind. Notice that, of a sober mind. A sober mind. Now, secondly, we need a sober mind, right? We need an eternal vision, and we need a sober mind, and it is a thing that is lacking today. All you got to do is scroll through Facebook just a couple of times. Give it one thumb up, give it another thumb up. It'd be a rare case to find a sober mind. Anybody amen me? be a rare case. Now, we have that. Now, here's the thing. We don't talk much about what it means to be sober-minded. Nobody, nobody ever even said that. Have you ever went up to a dude and he'd be like, man, that guy's just a sober-minded individual? Nobody's ever said that. Nobody says that. But Paul, in, in just the, the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, those types, just in a few letters, he, 10 times he says, y'all need to be sober-minded. Why? Because the world's crazy. The world is crazy, and you need to be sober-minded. And the word sober-minded literally means to keep sane. It's an alternative to being deranged. It means to be self-controlled. And the opposite of a sober mind is to live in a frenzy or a madness. It literally means to go into a mania where you're just driven by all kinds of thoughts and opinions. And in our world today, right now, you, maybe you disagree with me, maybe you don't. But right now, we are so inundated with media that media is inducing a certain type of a mania and a frenzy in our world. Well, we don't know what side to take. We feel like we need to take a side, but maybe we don't. But then there, and every, we're just pushed and we're driven with this wind until all of a sudden, we're no, no longer focused on Jesus. We're no longer focused on what God would have us to do. And we're no longer hearing the voice of God because we're hearing 10,000 voices in the media and I've said this to you before but God one guy said to me one time he said when it comes to prayer clay you need to understand that if you're trying to hear the voice of the Lord he's not going to compete with the other voices that you're allowing to be heard in your life sometimes you got to shut some other voices out in order to focus in on the voice of the Lord you remember in Mark chapter 5 when Jesus encounters a man that is possessed with a legion of demons He's possessed with a legion of demons, and this man comes forward. He's shackled up. He, he broke the chains of his shackles. He's cutting himself. He's hanging out in the tombs. He's hollering. He's naked running around like a crazy man, and when Jesus comes up, he falls down on his face, and Jesus asks him what his name is, and he says, my name is Legion, for we are many. In other words, he had been influenced by many different demonic forces. And as soon as you enter out into the world of the media, as soon as you enter out into the world, what you find is not just one sway, but multiple sways of different demonic forces trying to shape the way that you think trying to pull you, trying to infect your mentality, trying to get you outside of a sober mind. But see, Jesus delivers this man, and here's what it says. The same word for sober mind is the same word that is used right here in, in Mark five fifteen. It says, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. It's the same word for sober mind. And they were afraid. Notice this. Notice a world that is so messed up that when people are sober-minded, people get afraid. And that guy's actually sane. This is a scary issue right now. Every, the world has gone so crazy that it's an unusual thing to see somebody with a sober, rational, calm, peaceful mind who has the answers and who has the solutions. And God is trying to say, we don't want you to be pulled by all of these forces, but I want you to find, be found at the feet of Jesus, waiting for instructions, waiting for directions and in your right mind. Amen. Amen. That's where we need to be right now. We need to be at the feet of Jesus, waiting for instructions and in our right mind. Now, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of mindsets that are opposed to a sober mind. I just want to run through a few real quick. I was thinking about this because I was thinking, Lord, what kind of mindsets have I had just recently, just over the last little bit? And and these these came to me. And the first one is the anxious mind. We are an anxiety-filled people where we're worried constantly about what can happen. Of course, Jesus told us to not worry about tomorrow, right? Because tomorrow's got enough trouble for itself. He says, don't worry about those things. But nevertheless, with all of the things going on in our world, we become overwhelmed with anxiety, overwhelmed with fear. And Jesus is saying, that's not the mind to have. Secondly, there's the distracted mind. The distracted mind is the mind that is caught up in the urgent and the sensational. Whatever the latest this is, whatever the latest that is, you get caught up in whatever's going on. The newest trend's on you. are after it for five minutes wide open, and then another trend hits, and you shake off to that. You're distracted, and you can, you're focused on everything except what the Lord is saying to you. The distracted mind. Thirdly, you have the selfish mind. Now, this is the mind that is only preoccupied with what matters to me. Look, if it's not me, if it doesn't affect me personally, then I ain't that worried about it. All I care about is what is best for me in this moment. I ain't looking out for nobody else. It's all about me. And sometimes I get a little bit of a selfish mind. Anybody amen me? Right? And fourthly, there's a complacent mind, and that's just like, you know what? It's whatever. I don't have a dog in that fight. I don't care. Just whatever comes along, I'm good to go with it. I don't really care. And and then lastly... There's a cynical mind and this is where you just look at everything and there's a condescension, there's a sarcasm. There are people that I talk about, look, and here's what i say about the church. The church really does not do, even, even City of Hope Church, man, we fall short in what God has called us to do. But that doesn't mean that what we're doing is not good. That doesn't mean that we're not striving to follow Jesus, but see, the condescending, the cynical mind looks at it and sees all the negative that's going on and sees no good at work. And here's what I'll tell you, that even in the craziness that's going on in our world, what I'm seeing is God breaking through in the midst of it. I'm seeing there's being reconciliation, there is healing that is coming, there's radical forgiveness that is being released, and God is moving in people's hearts, and we have to be people that see that light that's breaking through in the midst of the darkness. But see, you can have all all of these mindsets, but the biblical mind is not to be intoxicated with any of these things, but to have a sober mind. First Thessalonians 5 verse four through 8 says, "But you brothers and sisters are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief, like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. There was a book uh, by this guy named Jonathan Haidt. He wrote a book called The Coddling of the American Mind. And he believed that college students today are being told three great untruths. That their feelings are always right. Somebody amen me right there. Let me tell you something. Just because you feel something don't mean it's the truth, y'all. Just because you feel a certain way does not mean it's the truth. Secondly, they should avoid pain and discomfort. If you avoid pain and discomfort, you are going to not follow God. Thirdly, they should look for faults in others and not in themselves. In other words, our co- you can always tell when somebody's currently in college. And the reason being is because I was there not long ago. But when I was in college, son, I was brilliant. You know what I'm talking about? Like my opinion, I learned like, through, I went to a, I went to a, co- a class, in a, I took an anthropology class and I immediately became the most brilliant person on the eastern seaboard. It was an amazing thing. I don't know how it works, but my opinions mattered above all. And at that particular time, I had all of the answers. And man, but there's a coddling of the American mind. But let me say this. I thought that was so interesting because what I believe is that there is a coddling of the American Christian. Man. There's a coddling of the American Christian. In other words, Jesus is supposed to make your life better. He's supposed to make you happy at all costs, and if to the point where if he doesn't make you happy and give you what you want, then we—I've ha- actually heard people say, "I tried that and it didn't work." What do you mean it didn't work? God's not something that you can put on or take off. It's not something that you test out. God is Lord of all creation and you're going to go through difficulty in this life but we choose to serve him and love him because knowing him is greater than any circumstance that I will face in this life. (laughs) Knowing him. But there is a coddling of the American Christian even to the point that when bad things happen we teach you ain't got no faith. If you had enough faith you'd get a better car or you'd have more money. That is garbage, friends. Amen. But we coddle the American Christian and we work through these issues. People say, how do you you talk to people, Clay, when their lives aren't good? Who cares if your life is good or not? Your soul is infected with sin and you need to repent and know Jesus whether your life's good or not. It's not about whether you're... The issue of being a Christian is not about him making your life... You may become a Christian, your life might get worse. For most people throughout history, it did. You realize that? Most people throughout history, when they became Christians, they entered into persecution. It was never about making your life better, but we have coddled the American Christian. And in other words, we have robbed them of what Peter is saying, that they are to have a sober mind. And we have given them a mindset where when challenges come, they're not going to be ready to face them. 1 Peter 4, 7, it says, The end of all things is near, therefore be alert." So, the end of all things is near. We dealt with the sober mind. We got to have an eternal vision. We got to have a sober mind. But thirdly, we need to be alert. We need to be alert. Now, it's interesting to me that Peter wrote this because Peter was a man who had a lot of regrets. Would you agree? Peter denied the Lord Jesus three times. Peter had a lot of regrets, but if you notice, the way that he reads, I'm going to say that one of his greatest regrets, and I was talking to to Takeda about this a couple of weeks ago in one of our questions, but one of the greatest regrets that Peter had, I believe, is that in the Garden of Gethsemane, when when his friend Jesus was at his most, at his darkest moment while he was praying, sweating great drops of blood, crying out to the Father. He told them, he said, guys, Peter, James, John, would you watch with me one hour? Would you stay awake? Would you just pray with me one hour? And he falls asleep. And Jesus is over there crying out to God, sweating great drops of blood. He comes back to him. He says, guys, wake up. Would you just watch with me one hour? Just pray with me. And yet they fell back asleep over and over again. And I believe Peter, he thinks back on that. He reflects on that. And he thinks to himself over and over again, man, if I'd only stayed awake during that time. And he starts to try to teach his own disciples, the people that are following Jesus in his midst. He's saying, guys, listen, you got to understand, you have got to be alert. you got to stay awake. You've got to be alert. Let, let me just show you in Scripture how often this is. And this isn't even all the ones I came up with. I had to cut some back. Matthew 24, 42. Therefore, keep watch. To keep watch means to stay awake, to be watchful, to be paying attention. Keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Colossians 4, 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Galatians 6, 1. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. 1 Timothy 4, 16, watch your life and doctrine closely, persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. 2 John 8, watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Romans 13, 11. and do this understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed and I'm going to finish with this one Ephesians 5:14. this is why it is said wake up sleeper rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you be very careful then how you live not as unwise but is wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. He's saying you have got to stay awake. You've got to be alert. You've got to be watchful. You've got to pay attention. You can't allow yourself to get sleepy because I'm telling you, folks, there is a Spirit at work in our world that is not only at work to deceive us, but to slowly lull us to sleep. To slowly lull us into this position where you say, well, that that doesn't matter to me. That's not an issue in my life. That's not something I need to pay attention to. No, it tries to slowly lull you to sleep until you're no longer aware of what's going on. And the word for time there, make most of your time. There's two words for time. Chronos, it means like linear time. What time it literally is, but then there's kairos, and that's a, that's a particular moment. It's a season. He's saying you need to be aware of the time, the season that you're living in. Pay attention to what's going on in the world around you. Let it wake you up. And be alert to what's going on. Why? Because you have an enemy that is trying to destroy your life. Do y'all realize that this morning? Man, this, hey, man Clay's preaching a happy sermon this morning. This is great. Here's the thing. In my own life, it's just like the Lord, the Lord has been pressing on me. Clay, you're, getting, you're falling asleep in some areas. You need to be alert of how the enemy is even trying to attack you and, and how he's trying to infiltrate your life and how he's trying to get you off of track because he wants to destroy us and God calls us to act as watchmen to say, Hey guys, wake up. Don't you see this happening? Don't you see division coming into the church? Don't you see this sin creeping into the church slowly but surely? And if we don't pay attention to it, it will infect us and it will destroy us. We got to be watchmen. We have to pay attention to what's going on. And Nehemiah, it reminds me of the book of Nehemiah, because they're trying to rebuild The walls around Jerusalem, and as they're building, it says in chapter 4, verse 7 through 9, it says, But when Sanballat, Tobiah, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. When you start to close the gaps, when you start to pray, when you start to speak out, when you start to begin to live for God, guess what? The enemy gets very angry. And it says, they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. Verse 9, but we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. They built, they prayed, and they watched. We need to be a church that right now is currently building the body of Christ, building the kingdom of God, that is praying and that is watching and being alert for one another. Amen. And that's what's going on. Now, this is going to be a little bit sensational, but every now and then I like to put a little something sensational just to freak everybody out. But I was reading this book by Derek Prince called Blessings and Cursings. And in this book, okay, he talks about that he had friends that were in New Orleans And in New Orleans, they were evangelizing for Jesus in downtown New Orleans, right? But they found that in that particular time, I think this was in the early 90s or late 80s, somewhere around there. But there was a satanic church that was involved in New Orleans. And at that time, they were actually also evangelizing in the streets. And as they were evangelizing in the streets, they had a six-point vision for the world. Hear me? They had a six point vision for the world. Here's what their satanic vision was for the world as they're trying to win people over. Number one, that the Antichrist would manifest himself soon. Now, I want you to understand that this was essentially their prayer list. They were praying and fasting for these things. They said that the Antichrist would manifest himself soon. Number two, that ministers, leaders, and missionaries would fall. Number three, that ministries and works of God would be destroyed. Number four is one of the ones that were most interesting to me. That Christians would become complacent, want peace over and above all, and seek churches that do not preach a full gospel with pastors that keep the peace no matter what the sin. Number five, that Christians would cease their fasting and prayer. Number six, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit would be ignored. Now, I know that does sound a little bit sensational, But here's what I'm trying to say is that this is the enemy's goal for your life. And are you alert to it? Are you aware? That, that's all I'm trying to say. Are you aware that as a Christian, we are not simply coming to gather together every Sunday morning to get feel better about ourselves and be a part of a community? That is a great aspect of what we do, but we are doing something that is so much more than that, and we must be alert of the enemy's plans for our lives. We've got to pray. We've got to fast. We've got to have a prayer list and a vision for the world that contradicts what the evil, uh, the evil one is at work doing in our lives. And man, we need to pray in this hour. Lord, give me a a heart for people's eternities amen give me a heart for people's eternity help me to see that help me to think about that because I mean I'm worried about people's temporary health but I should not be as worried about your temporary health as I am where you go when you die because every one of us are going to die if we're not transformed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the return of the Lord, every one of us are going to face that. See, we need to pray that the Lord would do that. And see, Satan is trying, is seeking to divide the church. I bet you if you were to get a, room, a, a bunch of demons together and put them in a room and sit down with them and say, hey, hey, fellas, tell me some ways you're going to mess with the church. I bet one demon would say, you know what I'm going to do right now? I'm going to put politics right in the middle of the church and watch them self-implode. He's trying to bring divide. You've got, you got to shake off Republican or Democrat or liberal or conservative or black or white, and you've got to say, I am a child of God. I'm a child of God, first and foremost. And I'm not going to allow the world to sway me into, to, into some position or some side that, that is Antichrist, that is ungodly, that won't stand for the truth. I need to hear what the Lord is saying in this hour. And so we need to make adjustments, right? We need to be alert. We need to have a sober mind. We need to make adjustments accordingly. And here's the last part. And it's the proactive part, right? He said, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of a sober mind so that you may pray. And number four is you need to pray. You know, when I read this verse, like verses like that in the Bible, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I'm just reading the Bible and the short little verses that seem like they're kind of monotonous. I just sort of skip over them sometimes. But do you see that this single verse has so much to be said right in the middle? Just one verse. There's so much to be said. And he's saying, you need to realize that eternity is near, one, one, You need to be alert of what the enemy is doing. You need to have a sober mind. Why? So that you can do one of the most important things, if not the most important thing you can do as a Christian, pray. And I believe that the church somehow has adopted a mentality where they treat prayer as if it's not very important at all. It is a secondary thing that becomes passive in our lives. I mean, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad here this morning, but what if we were to take a, a, a role of like a, even what we were praying this week and how much we were praying and what was going on, whether or not we, we were even moved by what's going on in our world, to take a moment to pray about it, it would probably be pretty low. Would y'all agree with me? But that's why God put good people like me to rebuke me in the spirit and then come up and say, hey, y'all, we need to pray. Amen. Because he loves his people, doesn't he? He loves us so much. God loves us so much that he will fight so hard to make sure that we are not deceived, that we are not drawn away, that we are not listless and lethargic and tired, but that we hear what is going on. Ephesians six eighteen it says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. You need to be praying for somebody this week, y'all. You need to be in prayer for somebody. You need to be in prayer for your brothers and sisters and you need to be in prayer for our nation. We have the ability to change things through prayer. Colossians 4, 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Now see, there was one commentator that said concerning 1 Peter 4, 7, he said, this is him basic. Peter, saying that if y'all are not intentional and if you're not very careful, he said most people end up treating prayer as if... It's just, it's not that important until a crisis hits. And that crisis has to be one that it directly affects them or they ain't praying nothing. And he says, but when you become intentional and you're no longer lethargic and listless, but you understand that your prayers matter, that your prayers change things, that your prayer works, that over and over again, God is calling his people to pray. Why? Because he believes it brings about his kingdom. He believes that we can partner with him to change the world around us through prayer. And when that gets in our hearts, we start to be far more intentional about what's going on. Now, let me give you just a a few types of prayer that came to my mind. And this is how the Lord began to deal with me. And the first one is conversational prayer. Now, this is good prayer, right? We just have a conversation with the Lord. You can say, Lord, I love you. I appreciate you. you be driving down the road. I talk to people sometimes. They're like, you know, I don't really have a lot of time to pray, but I pray in the car. That's good, man. You get a conversation with God. You're moved by God. You need to have that conversational prayer with the, with the Lord. This morning, as I'm trying to get things together, you know, sometimes I get a little bit frantic and I have to pray. I have to calm myself. I'm having conversations with the Lord before I get started. But secondly, there is a call to God in the Bible. And this often happens in the midst of a crisis. And throughout the Bible you see it. And they, they called to the Lord. Or they called out to the Lord. Or I call out to you. Jeremiah 33.3 3 says, call out to me and I will show you great and mighty things which you have not known. There is a call that comes from the heart. But then lastly, there is a cry to God. And here's what I'm trying to point out and say to you is. There have been moments in my life where my prayer has gotten very lazy. Anybody there with me? I know there's a lot of prayer warriors in here, but there are moments when my prayer begins to get very lazy. I have conversational prayer at best. Conversational prayer at best. But there's something that begins to move. Sometimes I'm in a crisis, I begin to call out to the Lord. But then there's moments where the Spirit of God begins to move me. And I realize that I need God more desperately than I've ever needed God in my life. And I begin to fall on my face. Just the other day, I told Andre, I said, Andre, we got some things going on in our life. We we, we knelt down, got on our knees in the living room and prayed. I don't even know how long we were there praying, but we were knelt down on our knees praying, crying out to God. Because because there's something that happens when your heart is moved by the Spirit of God where you're no longer treating. And and here's the thing. I'm not talking about, I I don't mean to preach this in a way where I'm trying to get you to to respond or react. It's not not me me trying to preach you need to cry out to God so y'all can just wail and holler in here. No, it's something where you begin to engage God and you let the Spirit of God begin to move your heart into a place where He brings you into prayer and you start to have a cry in your heart. And all Because when you begin to have that cry in your heart, man, God starts to move. You see it over and over and over again throughout Scripture. Have you ever actually asked yourself what Jesus' prayers were like? In Hebrews 5, 7, notice what it says. It says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. What would Peter have heard in that garden of Gethsemane if he hadn't fell asleep? He would have learned a lot about prayer. He would have heard his Savior crying out to the Father. Not just crying tears, but sweating drops of blood. Crying out to the Father because he was in a moment of despair. See, God is looking for a people that will partner with him in prayer, who will believe that we can actually change what is going on in our world through prayer. Simple as that. You have to begin to believe that, that you can partner with God. Romans eight fifteen says, God sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit of God starts to work in your heart, We're now in prayer you have a cry. Here's what I'm believing. I pray, I'm praying this that the Lord will do. I remember where God birthed something in my heart. I never prayed. You know what I'm saying? When I was growing up, I prayed, I prayed the Lord's Prayer on occasion. And then through my teenage years, I rarely prayed, if ever. And then all of a sudden, when I was about 20 years old, in the middle of college, when I was almost at my smartest point, I've gotten dumber since then. But when I was at my smartest point, right, all of a sudden I realized how ignorant I was. And man, God started to work something in me. I believe that God is going to start working in people's hearts. And you have got to follow that nudge. Listen to me. You got to follow that nudge i remember when i would be driving down the road and the lord would nudge me and say go home close the door get down on your face and pray when the holy spirit starts to say that to you you need to listen but you got to let him say it to you he ain't gonna force you you have to partner with him in prayer and let him move you throughout scripture in exodus 2 during that long period the king of egypt died the israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to god god heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with abraham with isaac And with Jacob, Psalm 88, one through four, Lord, you are the God who saves me day and night. I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I'm overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like one without strength, but I cry to you for help. Lord, in the morning, answer my prayer. 1 Samuel 7, 9. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf and the Lord answered him. Intercessory prayer moves the heart of the Lord. Amen. And I'm just giving a moment right now for the Holy Spirit to saturate you with that word. And I'm asking Holy Spirit, would you begin to move our hearts to pray, to cry out to you like never before? Because I promise you, when you allow the Holy Spirit to move your heart and you begin to pray, you begin to cry out to the Lord, something happens. Something begins to happen in Joel chapter 1, when they were going through crisis, you know what he said? He said, Declare a holy fast in verse 14. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Learning to pray like this is not working up a hysteria, it's just coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm open. Holy Spirit, move in my heart. Let me get in touch with you. Let me tune my heart to what you care about and what is going on in our lives. And we got to allow this discipline to begin to move in our hearts as a church. Like I said, I feel like if we're really paying attention, if we're really alert, we will understand and know that we are not quite equipped for what we are going to face in our lives. And that's not to scare you, but it's to say, listen, you got to be alert. Is there somewhere in your life where the enemy is creeping in? Is there something going on in your life where you begin to find that you're just becoming lazy, that you're not even interested in the things of God, where you're not praying anymore? And God is saying, look, I know there's, there's things you need to enjoy. God wants us to enjoy life. He wants us to have a good time. But man, we also have to be aware. We've got to be alert. We've got to pay attention. And we've got to take time to pray as the people of God. I'm going to read one last, one last quote here from a guy named Walter Wink. He wrote, he wrote this book called Engaging the Powers. And he said this, he said, intercessory prayer is spiritual defiance of what is in the way of what God has promised. Intercession visualizes an alternative future to the one apparently faded by the momentum of current forces. Prayer infuses the air of a time yet to be into the suffocating atmosphere of the present. History belongs to the intercessors who believe the future into being. What is he saying? He's saying that you can see the world and all of the darkness that's going on and sense that overwhelming weight of the forces of darkness at work. And he says, but the intercessor grabs a hold of the kingdom and says, not so, not on my watch. I'm pulling in the kingdom of God to invade this darkness, to invade this time. And it's not going to be my Facebook post that changes anything. It's going to be my prayer, my cry to God that gets a hold of him and brings him into this earthly reality. And he begins to change hearts because my post and my opinion can't do it. Man, I, my bad. I need to calm down. No, no. I cannot change it By natural means, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We have to become a spiritual people that know how to pray, that know how to intercede, that know that God is still on His throne and He can change any heart. Amen? I want you to bow your heads with me right now. We're going to take some time to pray. I want you to think about what we just talked about. We've got to have an eternal vision. We've got to have a sober mind. We've got to be alert. And lastly, we've got to pray. And See, that whole, all of that stuff, he's saying you've got to be sober-minded, you've got to be alert, and you've got to realize that you've got to have an eternal vision. Why? So that you may pray. All of that is so that you can pray. That's the one thing that he's coming back to. I know there's a million things you think that you could do that would be effective, but the greatest thing you can do in this hour right now is pray. And so, Lord, we come to you and Holy Spirit, we ask you to move in our hearts, to be sober, to be alert, to realize that eternity is at hand. And right now, if you're here in this building this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus, but you sense the reality of his spirit calling you to him, I want you to right there where you're at in your seat, I want you to respond to him. I want you to begin to pray and say, Lord, I call upon you. I believe that you are Lord of all. I repent of my sins. I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. I ask that you would wash me in your blood. And Lord, I confess you as Lord right here. And I want you to tell somebody. I want you to respond. I want you to turn from the sin that God's calling you from. But as a church, I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, search my heart. See if there is any wicked way in me. And Lord, begin to work in me. And Lord, give me a heart for prayer. Give me a sober mind. And that's what we pray right now, Lord. Give us a sober mind. Holy Spirit, give us the mind of Christ. Help us to see, God, what you want us to see. Holy Spirit, help us to discern truth from error, to know your ways, to know your plans, and to walk in them in the name of Jesus. Lord, we worship under that one name. We worship under that one name this morning. We give you the glory. We give you the praise. We give you the honor. I want you to just take a moment. I want you to respond to the Lord at your seat right now, However, way, whatever way that you choose. If you want to stand and worship, if you want to continue to pray, just respond to the Lord.